I, I think a lot of times people have this self-congratulatory notion that they're going to read about Jesus in the Gospels, they're going to aspire to be like him, and, and that that's going to make them this kind of demigod that they see Jesus to be, that they will rise above the mortal coil in their behavior and somehow be um, glorious and resplendent in their own right, in their virtue. They'll be so generous and kind and loving in their character that people will be in awe. <laughs> you know, um, maybe, maybe maybe they don't see it that way. I think it was probably true of me that that we have this drive toward hero worship. Welcome, everyone, to the Faith Recovery Podcast. We've taken a few weeks off. We're diving back Good. in. I'm Kent. And I'm Nathan. And we're seeking to recover faith by recovering the faith. And I had a question for Nathan this morning. Nathan, yes, what sir. I want to know is how can we follow Jesus today? We know that in the Gospels, Jesus said, follow me. Right. We know that today people talk still about following Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, however, you know, following Jesus when he was Jesus of Nazareth, a Jewish rabbi walking around, yeah. Uh, made literal sense, <laughs> and he and rabbis apparently would call followers, disciples, to follow them, yeah. and they would be with him, and they would spend time with him, and they would sit at his feet and learn his teachings. Uh, so I'm thinking, follow Jesus meant like be with him, act yeah. physically. Right, yeah. It also meant learn his teachings right. and learn to obey them. Um, and I, I notice that. After, after the Gospels, we kind of drop the idea of following Jesus for the most part. I noticed like in the letters that Peter and James and John write to the churches that they don't really use the, the phrase following Jesus. Mm. What does that mean? What are the implications of that? How, and I, would, I might be tempted to say, no, we just write it off. We just move on. Following Jesus is, is gone. That, that was something during the Gospels, but it's not really at the best phrase or idea anymore. However, I, it did occur to me that at the end of John... Before he ascends to the Father, mm -hmm. Jesus tells Peter, you follow me. Yeah. So he's saying, he's still saying at the end of his earthly ministry, follow me. Yeah. Okay, so there's got to be some way we can follow Jesus even after he has ascended to the Father. Um, so those are some of my questions. Is following Jesus something we do because Jesus is now with us by his spirit? No. Um, I have questions, Nathan. Yes. <laughs> have you got some answers for me? Have you got some thoughts on this for me? Oh, I have thoughts. I don't know if I have answers. <laughs> yeah. So this idea of following Jesus, and we see that, and, and I'll be honest, it was always a romantic idea for me. You know, uh, Romantic as in good, like you liked it. Yeah. There's something about that depiction, especially in Mark. It's just so sudden, spontaneous. There's just one consideration as he's walking by and you know you see him he sees andrew and peter are um yeah and he, and he says hey guys follow me and then he sees james and john follow me you know in mark 1 verse 19 when he'd gone a little farther he saw james uh, the son of zebedee and his brother john in a boat and um preparing a nest and without delay he called them and they left their father zebedee in the boat with the man and followed him yeah and so there just seems to be this something that's compelling about Jesus, at least in that depiction. And it does seem to me literally walk behind him. Um, 
And as you mentioned, it, it involves learning Jesus a little earlier than that. He saw Simon and his brother, Andrew casting a net. They were fishermen. Come follow me. He said, I will send you out to fish for people. Mm -hmm. So it's going to teach them to fish, I suppose. Um, and then in Mark two walks by Levi's tax booth and says, follow me. And he gets up and goes. Mm -hmm. So, so followers are not just people who physically follow someone around in this, in this, in this instance, mm -hmm. they also, they are also learners Yeah, and a disciple is a learner. Right. Okay. Keep yeah. going. Yeah. But in, in the case, in this case, and Jesus seems to have, he gives no quarter. He doesn't offer like a, a tertiary role as a follower. You're either with him or you scatter mm -hmm. as, as he's walking around Jesus of Nazareth. You know, people come up to it and they say, Hey, I want to follow you, but I have other things to do. Right. Mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah, well then you can't, right. You have to, you have to leave everything to follow him. You mean to say that in the gospels following Jesus meant leave what you're doing yeah. physically mm -hmm. with, uh, vocationally yeah. and be with Jesus physically, right? Drop yeah. what you're doing and be with Jesus. Yeah. Okay. And, and he just seems to have no option. There's not some second tier. There's always just, you know, so someone says, first, let me go and bury my father. Jesus says, uh, let the dead bury their own dead. Right. Right. Um, so in the gospels, a follower of Jesus is not someone who obeys his teachings. It's someone who is following him around. Right. Okay. All <laughs> yeah. right. And, okay. and learning from him and learning from him. Yes. Right. I mean, right. the sermon on the Mount specifically is spoken to his disciples and said mm -hmm. he went up on the mount he called his disciples to him and he began to speak mm -hmm. so thing else that we get when we get to the end of that section in mark uh or matthew 5 through 7 and it says the crowds were amazed so obviously there were more people there but this right. was teaching aimed at his disciples uh -huh. um and so there was certainly a, a learning but it was a learning on the way uh-huh. Uh, walking along and, and learning on the road kind of a, of a thing. Otherwise you're, otherwise you're the crowds. And I wrote, uh, you, you, you might be impressed with Jesus. You might be believing in Jesus. Uh, but, but if you're not following him around to learn from him, then you're the crowds. Right. Okay. Exactly. And so, um, following Jesus and, and maybe that's part of the appeal and that it's just so costly to mm -hmm. do. And he's doing something, it seems, that is counterintuitive. You know, we all have this kind of grind in life, and he just seems to ignore that and to choose another way. I'm sure that there were things like exposure and hunger that were a part of this life, but he, he just seems to be pushing back against just the doldrum of life and the, and the grind of duty and survival to do something else and uh and prioritize community and all that and so it uh it's compelling vision and uh and i, I think it's something that i always romanticized that i just wanted to be a part of um trust god to meet your needs yeah renounce worldly um you know efforts and vocations and just seek the kingdom of god right with the community of followers of jesus praying studying, worshiping, loving one another, evangelizing, trust God to meet our needs. We're going to, we're going to exit the world system and we're going to be totally focused on the kingdom, right. the, the church, the movement. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's how you romanticized it. I do. And, um, 
The unfortunate thing about all of that was that it didn't uh, it didn't seem to be very effective. <laughs> you know, what's 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 ironic and odd about that? You know, we romanticize it and we think, man, if he was here today, and that would be great, and I would just leave everything. And and most of the time, people probably wouldn't. Most people didn't. Um, but even if you did, would it make you necessarily his disciple? Um, you know, I mean, to be a disciple is to be a learner, right? Um, and if you walk around with somebody for three and a half years and you are exactly the same as when you started, your character is the same, your awareness is the same, um, have you learned? Have you observed that that happens? Well, okay. First of all, I think you are implying an observation in the Gospels, which is that at the end of his earthly ministry, his disciples were just as, uh, Weak as they were at the beginning. Yeah. yeah we have yeah. Peter denying Jesus. Yeah. Um, we have them arguing over who's the greatest. Is, yeah. Right. right. Okay. Yeah. So, so there's really nobody, right? right? They all abandoned him that we, we know. Uh, so, so he's, he's the, the only one, one that stays the course. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, but it, it doesn't, doesn't seem that there was anything about them that they weren't these people of sterling character or anything. You would think. If, if, if Jesus he, is this great one that we assume he is and that we believe that he is, um, how does how did his life, how did walking around with him, hearing him teach, uh, how did that not result in, in some sort of sterling character, deep faith and resolve in these people, rather than cowardice and infidelity that we see? Mm-hmm. Uh, just, just depicted, depicted, I think, in you know, in Mark, as he as he mentions this unnamed young man that was clothed in a sheet and runs off naked. Mm-hmm. You know, wow, yeah. what a what a picture of uh, of just colossal failure in terms of uh, developing people. Um, and so uh, maybe that seems harsh, but uh, I don't mean it to be critical of Jesus. I think that there's something probably broken in the system. As, as much, much as anything, anything that and, and, and I think that's a cautionary tale because because I, I think a lot of times people have this self-congratulatory notion that they're going to read about Jesus in the Gospels, they're going to aspire to be like him, and, and that that's going to make them this kind of demigod that they see Jesus to be, that they will rise above the mortal coil in their behavior and somehow be um, glorious, glorious and resplendent in their, their own right, in their, their virtue. virtue. They'll be so generous and kind and loving in their character that people will be in awe. <laughs> you know, um, maybe, maybe they don't see it that way. I think it was probably true of me that, that we have this drive toward hero worship. And Ernest Becker, the psychologist, says that, you know, this is really our fear of death. That existential dread that we had, and we look to rise above maybe the more animal realities of our nature. That we are these conscious beings enrobed in these simian forms, you know, that are deteriorating and doomed. And um, we we long for something superhuman to pull us out. And we see, we see that in Jesus, and we see him 
as some, some sort of Jacob's ladder, I guess, but not for the angels to go up and down on, but for us to climb into heaven on, to appropriate for ourselves what we perceive to be his virtues, and, um, and then to, as we slowly take those on, we look at the elements of his life, his behavior. We, we read the Gospels and we say, okay, Jesus, he got up early and prayed. He went out by himself. He gave, well, we don't really see him giving money away, at least not his own money. Uh, yeah, that's the thing. It's just like other people gave to him. So, but he, but he had, you would think probably like poverty mm -hmm. was probably one of his virtues, you mm -hmm. would say, and at least in a, in a high church, Catholic kind of mentality, poverty seems to be celebrated. It doesn't seem to be a virtue in scripture, but it does seem to be a condition that allows somebody to have faith if they will. Some people are poor and terrible, <laughs> you know? Um, and so, but Jesus, we, we assume he has these virtues, right? He's, he's radically accepting that there are people who, and, and I think that that's why nowadays it's very hard, especially for people who are inclined toward progressivism politically and culturally who are also Christians that they're in a tough moment because they see Jesus, who is this radically accepting person. Mm -hmm. And, and yet they're, the church is talking about morality and, and all virtue and all that on the other side that they would family values or whatever. And, and we see a lot that's out of phase. So at any rate, this aspiration to be like Jesus, it doesn't seem to have worked for the disciples is my point. <laughs> you know, that you can read the gospels, you can memorize them, you can try to duplicate in exact detail every element of the life of Jesus of Nazareth in your life. Yeah. Let's say you're a single guy out there and you decide you're going to be single. You're not going to get married and you're going to walk around and teach and you're going to be homeless and impoverished and you're going to um, live with the poor and you're going to uh, be around the prostitutes and the, you know, all of that. And, and whatever it is you perceive to be the life of Jesus. Um, and you know, it's, it's really at the end of it, I doubt you will be, your character will be anything close to. And that's kind of part of your story. You did some of that yourself you, sure. and in, in the way that you could as a married man with a family, you, you attempted some of that yourself. Yeah. And, and your point is that you read the gospels, you see that the 12 did that. Yeah. Clearly they did that. Uh, and they didn't, they, they, they didn't, they do, the gospels don't end with the, the 12 of them being these resplendent figures right. who are images yeah. of Jesus. Right. Yeah. Okay. So what's up? What's up right. with that? <laughs> And what did Jesus mean by follow me? And what did Jesus mean to Peter at the end of John when he said, as I recall, I didn't look it up. I just yeah. recall him saying, you follow me. Right. Yeah. yeah. It, it seems, seems to be the, the call is still there. there. Follow him. him. Uh, and, and, and what, what does, does that mean? What does it look like to follow him? him? Uh, why, why is it that when we get to the New Testament, Testament you know, you, you do, do see some of that in like, like the book of Acts here are people. Who are selling what they have, they're liquidating it, they're giving it to the poor. There's a, there's this radical kind of justice equality that's breaking out in the community, and, and I don't think that call is gone. And yet you get to the things like the household codes in the epistles, mm -hmm. and there's inequity presumed there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. And and how do we how do master slave to one another, right? husbands, wives, people in right. authority, people in age, child, yep. yeah, all of that. Mm -hmm. It's still, still there. there. Those those human structures are still there, 
and he's, he's kind, kind of teaching, teaching how to dis- how to be a disciple in the middle of that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about the book to Philemon. Mm-hmm. Philemon's obviously very wealthy. There's there's definitely a, a power um, imbalance there between Philemon and Onesimus. Um, it, there seems to be concern for Onesimus' safety on Paul's part in, mm-hmm. in sending him home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so, how do we how do we, how do we cope with that? How do we uh, wrestle with it in light of the Jesus in the Gospels, Jesus of Nazareth? Um, it, there definitely seems to be this assumption that some people are well off and some people are poor. Um, that there's even though that we are together in one body, that there's this diversity, and in some ways. It's socioeconomic diversity that's just built in. Right, right. So it goes from uh, leave. So following Jesus goes from uh, in the Gospels, leave your vocation, leave your station in life, become this, join the band of Jesus followers. It it transitions from that to stay in your vocation, stay in your station, and wherever you're at, wherever the Lord has called you, you're a follower, you're a disciple, you're a learner. Right. So it's the New Testament speaking out of both sides of its mouth. Is it setting us up for failure? That's that's, the, that's that's always was the struggle, struggle especially, especially for me, because you're just, just really caught in a straight because there's this constant call to poverty and mission, and yet there's on the other side of it there are the other these proof texts that say you shouldn't do that. <laughs> you know, if somebody won't take care of his own family members, is worse than an unbeliever. Wow. Okay, Peter. Yeah. Uh, sorry about that, man. You're toast. And, and so, so it, it, it doesn't, doesn't make up. You mean because he left his family? He left his family. Yeah. I mean, he, he left, left his vocation. Mm-hmm. He's not providing for anybody. He, he has become a, a dependent. Is, you know, Luke 8 gives a, a short list of women who were providing for Jesus and his disciples out of their wealth. And so what would that, you know, how would that be looked upon from a virtue-based standpoint? Here are these, you know, these leeches living off of, of these, these women, women and their means, they've taken, taken advantage of them. I mean, Paul even speaks of these false teachers who worm their way into homes and take advantage of gullible women. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we know Jesus wasn't that guy? Right. Uh, uh, that, that would be, I think, a critique that some people would make against him in that case. But the goal of, of following Jesus, and, and I think the disciple and follower. Obviously, uh, late, late, right? Obviously, obviously the same, same kind of word. And uh, and, and so, so, I guess, what? Mathe Thai in Greek there. So that's a follower, a learner, disciple. Mm-hmm. People today are using the word apprentice, which I like. You know, yeah. an apprentice is the word, the word we have today. We don't have disciple today in, yeah. in English, modern English today, except in the church. But we have an apprentice, someone who apprentices themselves to a master to learn what the master knows. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's, it's, a, it's a learning on the way. way. There's, there's, there's like actual dialectic teaching, teaching but there's, there's also demonstration. demonstration. And, and so, so if you are under the tutelage of someone, you're, you're receiving messages from them, them and, and you, you are, are trying, trying to uh, imitate, imitate what they're, they're doing, doing, you are a disciple. And, and so, so what, what does, does that, that mean for today? today if he's not, not physically among us, as you say, and, and should, should we aspire, we aspire to, that? to that? Seems, Seems like, like that's, that's a no, no just because, because it didn't work. work. You know, <laughs> that, that whatever, whatever Jesus, Jesus has to teach us is not, not something, something that really can, can be, be taught, taught or taught, taught honestly, honestly um, 
that it's something else. There's some third way. Okay. And and so Jesus says that that every disciple, you know, must become as his master, right? So the student is not above his teacher, he says in Luke six forty. But everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. So these guys were not fully trained, at least not at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. Uh, Their training was not yet complete. complete. Right, yeah. yeah. Or, or maybe it hadn't even yet begun since, since they just didn't seem to be any different, different or better. Um, so what, does, what that does that mean for us today? today? How, do How do we follow him today? today? And, and uh, you, you, you talked talk about, about this idea of the, of the spirit. Because um, we know we're supposed to follow him. As you mentioned, at the end of John, Jesus says, you follow me. And this idea of being a disciple seems to come up again and again. You know, mm-hmm. throughout scripture. So Jesus and the Great Commission says, Go make disciples of all nations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, What's a disciple after the ascension of Jesus? Right. Right. And Acts 11 says that the disciples were first called Christians. So if we call ourselves Christians, what means we're a disciple of Christ. Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians 11 1 famously says, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So he seems to be following his example. Um, so the difficulty is that, and we've just been dogging on this idea of reading through the, uh, gospels and trying to do everything that we see that Jesus did. And yet Paul says, follow my example as I follow Christ. Um, so what does that, what does that mean? How, how was Paul following Christ's example when he didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, Paul seems to be really fixated on the death and resurrection of Jesus, like to the neglect of the teachings of Jesus. Um, so for him, it's like there's this one thing that really matters, and that's he gave himself up for us. Yeah, and that's what I follow when I follow Jesus. As I give myself up for others because he gave himself up for me. Right. And Paul seems in his counsels to the churches when he talks about uh, their doing. Like, like Jesus, he seems to be focused on that element of Jesus' life of the trusting the Father and giving himself up, and that, right. that's and that's how Paul lived, and that's how he expected them to live. Right? Yeah, I think so. Um, and that seems to be the the essence of Jesus. It's what the disciples didn't have access to. For those mm-hmm. three and a half years. Mm-hmm. It's what That's they, they failed to understand, understand, even as Jesus taught it, you know, uh, foretold that that, that, that that would happen. So, so they really, even though uh, Peter had accepted Jesus, Nazareth, he rejected the gospel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. So Matthew 16, I'm going to go, I'm going to be crucified. And Peter said, no, that ain't going to happen. Right. So... <laughs> just kind of occurs to me sitting here now that there is really this divergence there between Jesus and his cross for Peter. And, and I think that's what why Paul said that the word of the cross is an offense. It's a stumbling block to the Jews and the Greeks. You know, it's the foolishness of God for the Greeks. And it's the weakness of God for the Jews. And, and yet, and because of that, it's the very power of God to actually change lives. 
Mm-hmm. And, and so, um, and, and I, I think that's, that's why, why it's so important to retain the gospel, to retain all of its essence, to not back off of it, any of even its difficult elements or aspects, because it must be presented as foolishness and weakness if it's going to be wisdom and power. Um, it can't be otherwise. And if, it, if we try to make it less foolish to the rational mind or less weak to those who aspire to strength, then we will lose its, its efficacy uh, in medical terms. So that's it seems to be critical. And it's why it didn't work for any of the disciples, because they, you know, Jesus didn't just say, follow me, he said, take your cross and follow me. And I think on that... Yeah, Jesus was pointing in that direction. He was hinting at what it was really going to look like after his ascension. Right. Yeah. And it's really that cross that is the... Um, his training tool, you know, it's the, it's the curriculum, and it is the... Uh, uh, the, the equipment, equipment right, of, of, the, of, of this teacher. teacher. And without it, we, we can't really become like him. I mean, I, I think, think it's in the cross that that, that, that essence, essence of what and who he is is exposed. It is revealed. What, what he was in secret, yet veiled in flesh. Throughout the book of John, Jesus speaks again and again of his glorification and but that's, that's, that's almost, almost a, it's a suite of things. things. It's, it's, it's his, his crucifixion, crucifixion, according to John 12. He says, I'm about to be glorified. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. So he seems to be clearly speaking of his death. And, and yet he also speaks of this multiplication of himself. He speaks of his exaltation. But all of that comes through this removal of the husk. You know, And this removal of the husk, it happens at the cross. And, and so, so we, we see who Jesus is only, only in that extreme moment. You know, in that extremis, does he appear, does his glory shine forth? Before that, we get this, this whisper of it. We get this messianic secret. Mm-hmm. But they're hanging on the cross. We see his glory, and that is what we see, that he is uh, divine love, that he is self-giving love. What do you mean exactly? Only when, we, only when he's hanging on the cross do we see who he is. Well, well, I think, I think so, so. It in my understanding of it, he is, is the embodiment of God's intention for humankind, and that is this ultimate trust mm-hmm. in in Him. Yeah, that this, this participant in the eternal fellowship, mm-hmm. and, and that's, that's who we see across. Uh, um, and, and it's why it dispels this aspiration to these to heroism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you know, I just can't, I can't overstate the danger of heroism. And I, I think Becker was right because what he saw was that, that it was that aspiration to the heroic that Hitler used. You know that all of the all of the great you know, megalomaniacs of history. What what calls people to just lay themselves down to? Um, repress even their own decency and to happily, really joyfully, tearfully, exuberantly participate in atrocities. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it seems to be that heroic drop. When we turn Jesus into that, then we become 
part of the problem. And I think that's why Jesus is called Peter Satan. Because why why did he follow Jesus? Why was he so enthusiastic to be the guy in front? And and I don't think a lot of those motives are a lot of that Peter had. I think Peter had a lot of changing to do. And uh, it was through the crucifixion and resurrection, the gospel being depicted in front of him. So God has really salvaged somebody who I think had a lot of brokenness in him. You know, he rescued him, but only through the cross and the resurrection could that be achieved in any of us. So somehow God is able to glorify us, but only as we relinquish the aspiration of glory from the human from a human standpoint mm-hmm. and seek solely the will of the father without without the need to have some sort of moral um inventory that we can rely on mm-hmm. a complete divesting of self i mean at death you have relinquished your all your inventory mm-hmm. And, and so, so that, that I think, think that that's, that's what, what Jesus is, is calling us to. And that's, that's why it's offensive, I think, to people. If you see yourself as moral or at least potentially moral, you probably aren't going to follow Jesus because he asks you to relinquish that. Hmm. Die to yourself, die to your ego, die to the world and its ways. Um, so Jesus's call, the call to follow Jesus is ultimately the call to follow him to the point of death, uh, to, to lay down our lives, to take up our cross, to relinquish our life in this world and uh, find on the other side of that the, 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 the power of God, the power of the Spirit of God coming in. And um, so uh, that's what it would mean to follow Jesus, learn from Jesus as a disciple or apprentice, is on this side of the resurrection, is we've got to take up our cross, our cross, and follow him. Right. And it's, and it's not some, you know, because Paul speaks to somebody who gives their body to be burned and doesn't have love. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, that martyr drive is just the same thing again. That Because there are people who ideate what the survivors will be thinking of them. Mm-hmm. You know, somehow, again, it's this attempt to cheat death through our own accomplishments. Even, Even if that accomplishment, accomplishment is to die, die dramatically, dramatically. Um, it's, it's the same, same thing again. again. There, there, it, it, it is these these micro deaths that are obscurity throughout our lives. I think that is um, faithful following that people can be moved by a martyrdom drive. We um, see it in Islam. You know that there's this kind of call to be truck bomber or whatever, right? Um, but, but, it, it, but that, and that, that seems to be this, this desire to achieve eternal, immortal, immortal life, right? right? To, to, to deserve, deserve it. it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yet, yet, if you come before God, God believe me, you deserve, you know, you're immediately ungodly, ungodly <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and how will the ungodly be welcomed into the divine fellowship? Um, you know, the minute you, you think, think that God is indebted to you in some way, um, you're no, no longer a participant in this community. Uh, 
And, and so, so it makes you unfit for, for the community. community. The irony is that if we give our bodies to be burned without love, then we're completely unfit. unfit. It, it doesn't add up to anything. anything. Only love, only things done out of that divine love matter. And even if they're small things, you know, they matter. Uh, and so it seems that there's a pattern that we just, that our bodies live around and that discipleship is consists of um so you can think about following jesus as taking up a particular gate a walk um and so in romans 6 17 he says but thanks be to god that though you used to be slaves to sin you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance and the result, the result of, of, of following this pattern, pattern seems, seems to be a progressive overcoming of sin. Uh, in the wider context there in Romans 6. Yeah, Romans 6 is, how shall we continue to sin? We who died to sin, how shall we, how shall we still live in it? And it's this death and resurrection theme. Put sin to death. Right. Yeah. And if part of what you're putting to death is your moral inventory, then there's no condemnation. It's just, it's, it's why, why it's critical, critical that, that we, that we imbibe, imbibe the entire gospel as this abandonment of the pursuit of personal virtue, <laughs> you, you know, know along, along with the abandonment of our own aspirations in this, this life to somehow be worthy as, as, as how we deem, deem that. that. So, um, it just it seems, seems, it just seems critical and that, 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 that has claimed our allegiance. I think that when he says you you obeyed that pattern, he's specifically speaking about their baptisms. And he says, don't you know that as many of you were baptized, you were buried with Christ and you were raised. That's the pattern, right? But for them to be baptized, and we don't see it in Christian cultures, and that really baptism became the means whereby we join our culture. Uh, especially, especially infant, infant baptism, baptism thinking, you know, Catholic, Catholic Church, Church, medieval period, you're born, born into a Christian, Christian home, you're baptized as an infant, infant you're raised in the church, the church, church is your uh, mother. mother. Mm -hmm. and, and all of that is anti-gospel. Anti I hate to say it. I, 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 I keep getting, I keep getting painted into these corners verbally where I have to say that it's, you know, the, the whole approach of a lot of Christians is the antithesis of the gospel, but it is, uh, you know, that if there isn't this call to break with earthly ties and to be born from above somehow in our lives, and we really haven't yet followed that pattern even once, we haven't gone through one revolution of the pattern. Um, and, and I guess that's frightening, frightening to, me, to me to think, think about. about. But, but there, there, there is this need to somehow be, be cut off from that, that which we came up in, even, even if it was, it was Christian, Christian, that we have we to have our own relationship with God, God just as him entirely. And, and I think, think about, about this idea of the church as our mother and that that kind of came to be this concept. And that's a yes and no. I, I think the church, church in terms, terms of, of that eternal community in the heavens is our mother, the city. city. 
the church, church in, terms in terms of the congregation, congregation on this planet is not. Paul, Paul is very, very clear, clear that our mother is from heaven, heaven. That, that we have, we to, have be to be born, born from, from heaven. heaven. We can't, can't be, we can't, can't look, look to the church, church and give our, our earthly community some, some sort of allegiance as, uh, as, as, as an institution, or as, as a collective, as that to which we owe our great allegiance or gratitude or whatever, that that becomes idolatrous in and of itself. Um, um, so, this, so this pattern involves us, just as Christ, for him, his, his crucifixion was an exodus, right? right? Luke 9, Moses, Moses and Elijah appear, and they, they talk to him about his exodus that he's going to accomplish in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. That just as Christ's crucifixion was his exodus, so our baptism, our conversion, however you understand it, I think baptism is a... Is a, a gift to us. us. Paul calls it the circumcision uh, on the Christian, Christian life, right? right? So, so it is this choice to make this circular, circular cut um, away, away from, from that, that which, which to which, which we, we are connected. connected. And circumcision was a circular cut, and I know that you know the details of it or whatever. But, but there's, there's a, a reason, reason, I think, that that, that image was important, important uh, that, that that there is this cutting away in every direction of our fleshly connections. It doesn't mean we don't still love our families and families and everything, but we have, in, in some sense, died to them. And that, for Paul, was the first revolution of that pattern. And he's saying, because you, you've obeyed from the heart the pattern of teaching that you're now, now free, free from, from sin. sin. Why? Because, because you're, you're free, free from, from the law. You're free from the elementary principles of the world upon but, which the law is predicated. And, and the reason that you're free is because you've died with Christ. Right. Yes. And now you're risen and you've got a new life beyond the law. Right. And the world. Right. And so discipleship becomes this repetition of, of dying and rising. And sometimes that looks like just relinquishing my ego, my reputation, it, um, letting go of my aspirations. There are demands and calls upon us every day to make a choice between what people think of me and what is right. You know, what, I, what I'm being called to. There's a constant um, compulsion to relinquish concern over the future, to devalue earthly goods. All of these things are discipleship because they aren't, they aren't about taking up a virtue. They are about living out a ruthless trust in God who provides, mm -hmm. in God who is my strength, in God who is my worth. And if it's based in that, I, I can become somebody new without succumbing to this really demonic draw toward heroism. Mm. And, and so I think that's the genius of God. It's why it's so powerful. It's why this pattern sets us free from sin. It sets us free from the world because it's the only thing I can think of that closes all the doors to that demonic influence that's mm -hmm. trying to get in. Mm -hmm. And would you agree that we follow Jesus today in, in, so we're, we're, we're saying uh, that we follow Jesus today by taking up our cross, by identifying with Christ in his death and resurrection. And um, 
would you say that it's also fair to say that because he is in us and by his spirit and he's with us and in the church by his spirit, that's another sense, another layer of meaning there that we can continue to follow Jesus because he is still here. Yes. And his spirit, he, the spirit of Christ is speaking to us right. within us and within the church yes. and speaking the gospel to us, calling us to die to, uh, and to rise right. by faith. Yes. I think, I think that the, the gospel and the spirit were together, you know, Jesus uh, in John 7 gives this invitation, come to me, from within you will flow rivers of living water. But, and then John gives his parenthetical and says this, he spoke of the spirit who was to be given, the spirit had not yet been given because Christ had not yet been glorified. So the pattern had to be established and then the spirit can come mm -hmm. to um, to really energize us to follow that pattern. Mm -hmm. Paul conceives of it as the Spirit, as that power of the resurrection. And Peter speaks of, or I think the author of Hebrews actually speaks of Jesus, who by the eternal Spirit offered himself. Mm -hmm. And so it is the Spirit who leads us through that pattern, mm -hmm. that by the Spirit we offer ourselves, and that through the Spirit we receive the power of the resurrection and wash, rinse, repeat. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, and, and, and I think that that's critically important because uh, if we were to say, and, and as I've said multiple times, that this covenant is written on our hearts, it's not prescribed in letters, uh, whether they're, you know, in a, in a gold leaf leather bound volume or whether they are, you know, um, inscribed in, in stone tablets, that none of that is the essence of the covenant. It has to be written on our hearts or it's really foreign to us and it's going to kill us, according to Paul. Mm -hmm. And yet, if people begin to think, well, I'm just going to follow the Spirit, I'm not going to try to follow uh, any kind of prescriptive pattern, what you get is a lot of just messed up stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, There is an objective standard, which is the gospel, which is this pattern of dying and rising with Christ. Right. right. And that's, the spirit of, that's what the Spirit of Christ speaks to us. Yes. I mean, among many things he may say, his pattern is the death and resurrection of Christ. So everything he says and leads will be according to that pattern. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and Jesus even says, when he comes, he will glorify me. And he's, he's not coming to lead us to do weird stuff. You know, yeah, it's weird to the world, but I'm just saying that a lot of times I think people get this notion that the spirit is just here to be so countercultural, or he's here to excuse our greed or whatever it is. You know, I, I unfortunately, I think that a lot of charismatic movements are susceptible to some pretty poor ecclesiology, soteriology, theology. Because it's not rooted in the gospel. It's message. not rooted in the gospel. And, and I think that's why the Spirit wasn't given until Christ was glorified, because we will be, you know, we'll take that energy, we'll take that impetus, um, and then we will be easily misled by the spirits. Yeah, right. Okay, that's good. Thank you, Nathan. Uh, we're going to wrap it up there. That was a great discussion about following Jesus. If you got questions for us, listeners, dear listeners, email us. Yes. Discussion at recoverfaith.org. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.